Let's pray together. Father, having heard your word with our ears, we pray now that we would have ears to hear it. And having seen it with our eyes, we do pray that we would have eyes to see it, that we would perceive it and understand it, that we would accept it and it would bear fruit in our lives. We pray against everything that would hinder from that happening. Help us by your grace, O Lord. Soften our hearts to Christ. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes in life, people can go through the exact same thing and yet come out with two entirely different experiences, right? You can encounter the same exact event and yet come out with two completely opposite experiences. For example, it happens when you take a test. I remember many years ago, my sister Asha telling me that in her fourth year of schooling for physical therapy, she had this exam, and it was one of those exams where if you passed it, you got to continue. If you didn't, everything you did up until that point was for naught. It was a waste. You had to go back and do the whole year again. Those of you who are in the medical profession who have taken boards like that know the anxiety and pressure that that kind of a test can have. You take this one thing, you get to keep going. If not, it's all gone, all a waste. Needless to say, you can imagine the fear and trepidation with which she took that exam. And she told me, I remember, that after many days, she went to her mailbox and opened the box, and there it was, this envelope. And inside that envelope was going to be the results of where her path would go from here. And you can imagine how her hand shook as she opened that. And just a moment later, a smile from ear to ear, right? A smile from ear to ear on her face. All of a sudden, this anxiety that was relieved and this joy that flooded her face. I mean, just the, the sheer wonder of that moment. But before a moment passed, she turned the corner out of the building and saw a classmate in her class. And the girl was just sitting there, weeping. In fact, her father was there, consoling her. And Asha told me that she didn't have to ask what had happened. She immediately knew, right? It's incredible. They had sat in the same exact room. They had sat for exactly the same time. They had answered the same exact questions. They took the same exact test. They went through the same exact thing, and yet they came out with two entirely different experiences, two completely opposite experiences. It it happens in sports. This afternoon is game six of the NHL playoffs for the Flyers. For the three of you that care about hockey and are going to watch that, right? You're going to have two teams that at noon will go into the same stadium. They're going to hear the noise of the same crowd. They're going to skate on the same rink. They're going to play under the same refs. They're going to be watched by the same TV. And yet, you know that by the end of this afternoon, they will come out with two entirely different experiences. One will know the thrill of victory. The other will go home in the agony of defeat. They come to the same thing, but they come out with two entirely different different experiences. Well, it happens with Jesus as well. It's the same thing with him. In fact, as we've been reading the gospel according to Mark, we're seeing that people are encountering Jesus and this same exact thing is happening. It's the same man, the same preacher from Nazareth. He's doing before them the same things. They're seeing all of them him heal the sick or cast out demons. They're hearing him say the same words. 
the same exact message. They've heard him say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And yet, they're coming out with entirely different experiences concerning this man. It's the same man with the same message who did the same deeds. And yet, have you noticed how different the experiences are in Mark's account? That literally to this one man, some will hear him and they'll drop their nets and follow him. Some are so overwhelmed that he wants anything to do with them that he calls them over to dinner and invites the whole friends and all the town to come and eat with him. And yet, some, some are neutral about him, just wanting to sort of catch the show and see what he does next. Others are convinced he's out of his mind. Some think that he's possessed by a demon. Some, at that very moment, are plotting how to destroy him. Isn't it amazing that the same person, doing the same things, saying the same words, and yet people are landing in entirely different places with Jesus? That's a puzzling thing. Older Christians used to have this saying. They said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The same Jesus with the same message and the same deeds are having some hearts melt and open to receive him, while those same words by that same Jesus is having the exact opposite effect of hardening and stiffening their hearts to reject him. That's a question that we have to deal with. In fact, that's a question the New Testament deals with more than once, which is how can it be that God's people who had been schooled in the things of God, Israel, who had been around God for so long, how could they reject God's Messiah? How could it be that they could encounter Jesus and reject him? And that's what Mark is going to have us think about this morning. Because you're going to see that same thing happen in the parables that Jesus tells as well. In the chapter we're looking at, what Jake just read for us, Jesus is going to tell the same exact story. The people who hear it are going to hear it in the same language, the same words, they're going to hear the same exact narrative, and yet, here's what I want you to hear. For some, this parable will be a path to incredible insight about the kingdom of God. And for others, that same exact parable will only serve to confirm and reveal and seal them in the hardness of their heart and in their unbelief. For some, this parable will offer incredible insight into the kingdom of God, and for others, this will only reveal and seal and harden them in their unbelief. And why we need to hear this, Sema Road, is because in some measure, what was true of them is true for us as well, that as you hear the word of God, particularly if you're a regular here, and you hear it proclaimed to you week after week after week, this word will have the effect of either softening your heart, melting the ice to receive Jesus, or these same words could undoubtedly have the effect of hardening the clay of your heart and stiffening it to reject Jesus as well. And so this week, Jesus would say to you, take heed how you hear. 
Take heed. In fact, this word here will show up so many times, a dozen times or so in Mark chapter 4. This chapter wants you to pay attention to how you hear. Listen up to how you hear. Look at it with me. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. If you've got a Bible, leave it open there. This is where we're going to be the first 20 verses this morning. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Here's how it begins. Again, he, that's Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now Mark is just in this first verse setting up the scene. And it's a scene that we have seen before, right? We've come familiar to this. Jesus, the preacher, is preaching and he's by the sea. We've seen him by the sea. It's by the sea that he called the four disciples who first followed him. It's by the sea that he called Levi, the tax collector, to follow him. It's by the sea that the crowds keep gathering around him. And Jesus, so pressed by the growing crowds, has to climb into a boat, sail off a little bit, and he has to use the boat as a pulpit to which to address this huge crowd. In fact, we've seen that also in chapter 3. And now, sitting in a boat, the rabbi in this sort of natural amphitheater, and and scientists have tested this in Israel, begins to, with his loud voice, proclaim so that perhaps thousands of them could hear what he has to say. And now Mark is about to give us the first really meaty section of Jesus' teaching. Pay attention to this. Because up until this point, we've been told Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches, but we've never really heard what Jesus teaches. In fact, The only line we've gotten so far is a one-sentence sermon where he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Outside of that, Mark has told us that he's going here and there and everywhere teaching, but we've not yet gotten a lengthy, meaty section of how Jesus teaches. So now, Mark is about to give us Jesus' teaching. You're about to sit under the voice of the preacher from Nazareth. And if, if that's true, I imagine your ears perk up a little. You, you sit up in your chair because you're now ready to hear what Jesus of Nazareth has to say. And part of you has to wonder, what's he going to be like? Like what kind of communicator, what kind of preacher will this Jesus be? Right? What, what kind of preacher will he be? Will he have an Apple laptop and speak behind that like Sibby does? Will he tell you a bunch of stories about sneakers and somehow connect that to the gospel like Binu does? Is he going to scream at us for 20 minutes like Dennis does? How is is Jesus of Nazareth going to speak? Now listen, whatever he is and however he does it, the one thing I'd imagine you'd expect, as I've thought about this, as I've heard other guys preach on it, the one thing you'd expect is that Jesus, whatever he says, however he says it, he's going to be clear, right? That's what you'd imagine. That whatever he says, however he says it, you'd imagine he's going to be clear. He's going to make the Bible plain to you. He's going to make it understandable. Right? Isn't that what you expect from a preacher? You imagine that no matter who stands here, no matter who teaches from the Bible, the one thing you want them to do, whether they tell stories, whether they're professorial, whatever way they go about it, the one thing you expect is that they're going to make the Bible clear to you plain to you, understandable to you. That's what we expect from a teacher. This week, for example, I went and listened to a lecture that Kevin McFadden, one of our folks, he teaches at Cairn University at the Divinity School there. He was lecturing this week on Revelation, so I went. If you've ever read Revelation, 
You know how hard that book is. You know how intimate. I have a degree in theology. I am scared to death of Revelation. I have no idea what's going on there. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to this class because I want to hear. If you've ever read through Revelation, you know, I mean, there's symbolism and visions. Jesus is pictured as having a sword coming out of his mouth. There's a vision of a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes and seven. There's a beast with, with seven heads and ten crowns. There's killer locusts coming up from the abyss. I mean, you read this thing and you go, what is happening here? So what you expect is if someone opens up Revelation and begins to teach, he's going to make it plain. And that's what Kevin did. I found the class so unbelievably helpful because this intimidating book was made plain, was made clear, was made understandable. His lecture was so helpful because I walked out of the class understanding what I did not understand before. So... If you can expect that from some preachers at Seven Mile Road or a teacher at Cairn, how much more when the incarnate Son of God sits as a rabbi to instruct the crowd on the things of God? Do you imagine that your eyes are suddenly going to be opened and ears to hear and you're going to finally get some incredible insights into the kingdom of God? You can imagine then how surprising it is that when we hear that the way Jesus chose to teach was through parables. Verse 2, that's what you hear, right? And he was teaching them many things in parables. Parables. Now, at first glance, parables seem almost childlike in their simplicity. They're just stories. And in fact, if you hear Jesus' parables, you'll hear they're just relatable stories. He'll talk about farming stories and fishing stories. He'll talk about royal banquets and lost coins and lost sons. He'll hear stories that a housewife and a man and a child, everybody can relate to a farmer and a fisherman, stories that at first glance you get it just like that. But then, as you seek to understand the truth that the parable is pointing to, what you'll see is that often after Jesus tells a parable, people are left sort of scratching their heads and shrugging their shoulders and looking around puzzled. And what you begin to discover is that often these parables, rather than clarifying understanding, would often leave you confused. In fact, parables could more likely be compared to riddles. That, that's a word to describe them. That what Jesus taught was often in the form of riddles. In fact, we're not left to wonder what's that like because you get one of these riddles, one of these parables in verses 3 through 8. This is the story. You heard the story as Jake read it to us. He tells the story. Now imagine the scene. He's in that boat. Perhaps thousands from everywhere have gathered to hear Jesus, the teacher of God, teach. What would you expect? Thousands are gathered there to hear Jesus of Nazareth and he lifts his voice and he says, once there was a sower and he had some seed and he began to throw it everywhere. And some of that seed fell on the pavement and it was plucked away by the birds. And some of that seed fell on rocky soil and it sprang up quickly, but it didn't have roots and so it got burned away. And some of that seed fell on thorny ground and it grew, but it was choked out by the thorns. And some of that seed fell on good soil and it yielded a harvest 30, 
60, and 100-fold. And then Jesus of Nazareth says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he drops the mic, and he sails away, right? He doesn't, he doesn't really sail away, but, I mean, that's it. I mean, you, you think that. No explanation, no interpretation, no key to unlock what he just said, no clue to understand the riddle. He doesn't say anything about the law of God. He doesn't cite the prophets. He doesn't refer to the scriptures. Goodness, he does not even mention God. He just tells a story about a farmer who throws some seed, and then he's done. Surely you go, I mean, could you imagine what that crowd was like? Could you picture their faces? As they walked away from that shore, don't you imagine some of them scratched their heads and go, what was that? Don't you imagine some of them shrugged their shoulders and lifted up their hands and said, what does that mean? Don't you imagine that some of the scribes shook their heads and it just confirmed for them, this man is out of his mind, or why are all these people here? This is what we all gathered here for? Don't you imagine some left like you do after a bad movie going, what, what did we just waste our time for? What was that even about? Why did he just say that? Why did he leave it there? And what does it mean? Now listen, while some leave with shrugged shoulders, and some leave scratching their heads, and some leave shaking their heads, it's not all, because some, some press in. Some will not be left in that state, and they press into Jesus, and they go, wait, Jesus, what does that mean? What, what is that story you just told? What is that about? They press in, and what you're about to get, by the way, we mentioned this last week, you're about to get a Mark sandwich. You remember when we said that last week? Mark will often do this. He'll lay the bread and give you some meat and go back to the bread. So now you're about to get, here's the parable, I'm going to interrupt the parable, and then I'll come back to the parable. It's going to be told, I'll interrupt it, and then I'll explain it. So now you're in the middle of a Mark sandwich, and now this is verses 10 through 12. The parable has been told, and now he tells them why he told them. And when he was alone, those around with him, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, listen, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables. Now that is a really hard word from Jesus. It's hard because it sounds like what Jesus is saying is, listen, I am speaking in riddles. And to you who have pressed in, to you whose hearts are soft, to you whose hearts are like ice that the sun is melting, who are open to receiving to me, to you, I will not only explain it. To you, I will not only reveal it. To you, he says, you will be given the secret of the kingdom of God. It will be given, meaning not that you'll have achieved it, not through some cleverness of your own, you'll understand it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to reveal it to you. And reveal what? The secret of the kingdom of God. Secret as in not something that can't be understood, but as in something that's hidden. I'm going to take what's hidden and make it plain to you. I'm going to give you the secret of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you revelation. I'm going to give you understanding. I'm going to give you the grace to get in on this thing. To you who are on the inside of all this. And if you were here last week, you remember those who were inside the house and those who were on the outside of this whole thing. To you who have pressed in, to you who are on the inside of this, I am going to unlock all of this for you. But for those who are on the outside, did you hear this? 
They only get parables. They only get riddles. Now that's hard. But Jesus will essentially turn the screw and make it even harder with what he says next. Because then he's going to say, and here's why. Here's why they'll only get parables. Here's why they'll only get riddles. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus just turned the screw and made it even harder. To you who's on the inside, I will give you the secret of the kingdom. Revelation, explanation. To them on the outside, they only get riddles so that, in order that, they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Seven Mile Road, can you sense that we are not in the shallow end of the pool anymore? We are in deep waters, perhaps even over our head. And with humility, we are hearing some hard words from Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, while for you who are on the inside, my words and parables will offer you incredible insight for them on the outside, it will only reveal and seal and harden them in their unbelief. In this way, it's almost like one commentator I read said, it's almost like the pillar of cloud in the Old Testament. In Exodus 14, there's a scene where God's people, Israel, are escaping from Egypt, and Egypt is pursuing them, and God gets in between like a pillar of cloud. And if you read in chapter 14, it's the same cloud, and yet to Israel's side, it offers light. To Egypt's side, that cloud offers darkness. Same cloud comes in between, but whereas Egypt is left in the dark, hindered by that cloud, Israel is brought to the light, led by that cloud, protected by that cloud. I'm going to give the same parable, and whereas for you it will offer you insights into the secret of the kingdom of God, for them it will only harden them in their unbelief. That's hard to hear. Now that's hard to hear for lots of reasons, but I think at the core of it, one of the reasons why it's most hard to hear is because it begins to raise in you the question, what is God like? What is Jesus like? Why is Jesus riddling them like that? Right? That's what the bad guys do. When I, when I heard this, I thought of Die Hard 3, if you remember that. Die Hard 3, there's a scene where the bad guy sets up these two gallons. It's, it's a three-gallon jug and a five-gallon jug. And there's a fountain in front of them. And the riddle is they've got to somehow measure exactly four gallons. And they, otherwise, the bomb's going to go off. That's what I think of. I mean, is Jesus like the bad guy from, from Die Hard 3? Setting them up so that if they don't get this, the whole thing's going to explode. Now, by the way, I know I've lost all the overachievers in the room because you're trying to figure out the riddle right now in your head. I'll tell you after the sermon, right? This is what Jesus feels like. I mean, what is he doing here that he's setting them up with riddles? But to better understand this, you need to see where Jesus is quoting from. Do you notice in verse 12, there's quotation marks? Because what he's doing is he's quoting a verse, and what he's doing is he's Going back to the prophet Isaiah, and the sixth chapter is where you find this verse. Now, let me give you just a quick word of background. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, the prophet has seen this vision of God, 
I saw the Lord seated on the throne and the train of his robe was filling the temple. This vision where the angels were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah sees that and immediately he sees his own sinfulness. And he says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet God sends an angel to touch Isaiah's lips and cleanse him and atone his guilt. And then having been cleansed of his guilt, God then says, who will go for us? And who will speak for us? And Isaiah raises his hand and says, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. This is the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. And then God says, here's your ministry, Isaiah. Isaiah 6. You're going to speak and they're never going to hear a word you say. You're going to talk and it's only going to make their hearts harder. That's your entire ministry. In fact, let me read it so that you hear it with your ears. This is Isaiah 6, verse 9. God says to Isaiah, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Isaiah, that's your ministry. What's happening here is the people of Israel are neck deep in idolatry. They have turned from God. In fact, if you read Isaiah 1 through 5, you get the character of what Israel's like at that point. When Isaiah is going out, these people are so hardened in their unbelief. Despite all the calls that God makes saying, come to me, come back to me, repent, return. Despite God saying, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I can make them white as snow. Though they're crimson, I can make them white as wool. Come back to me, come to me, my people. I'm like a father, you don't know me, come to me. Though he repeatedly calls them over and over again, they will not come. They harden their hearts. They stiffen their necks and they will not turn back to the Lord. There is nothing God could say that they would hear. Nothing God could do that they would see. Hear that. That's the state of their heart. That if God spoke a thousand more words, they'd have no ears to hear it. If he did for them a thousand more things, they'd have no eyes to see it. And so God's judgment for them is fine. I listened to a sermon by Matt Cruz up in Boston. He said this wonderfully helpful thing. He said there's a principle going on here. And the principle in the scriptures is you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. Now, originally, that's good news. We were created by God, designed to worship him. And if we worshiped him, we would become more like the one we worship. It was designed to be good. But we don't worship him. Sin has twisted that and thwarted that so that, like Israel, we chase after other things and other gods and set them as supreme. And in the scriptures, you become like what you worship. In fact, let me just read you this one section. Psalm 115 says it better than I possibly could. Here's what the indictment is. It says in Psalm 115, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, 
eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. And they make no sound in their throat. This is the verse, verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That's what happened to Israel. That they became spiritually what their idols were physically. That spiritually they became deaf. Spiritually they became blind. Spiritually they became senseless and lifeless and motionless as their idols were. And God's judgment in the day of Isaiah was Isaiah go, but every word you speak of your ministry will only confirm and seal them in the hardness of their hearts and in their unbelief. If I spoke a thousand more words clearly, they would not turn. Or did a thousand more deeds in their sight, they would not see. And so every word of your ministry will only harden their hearts. And Jesus is saying, as it happened in Isaiah's day and ministry, it's happening in my day and ministry as well. Jesus is saying to Israel, this is God's people who had been prepared for millennia for the Messiah. This is God's people who had been prepared for millennia for the Messiah. And yet he's saying to them, I have spoken clearly. You will not hear. I have acted clearly. You will not see. No matter what I say, no matter what I do, you will not turn. I spoke you told me I have a demon. I acted. You plotted for my destruction. And Jesus says, as Israel then, so now Israel before me only will get parables that will reveal and seal them in the hardness of their unbelief. And then he says to his disciples, but to you, to you who have not just scratched your heads and shrugged your shoulders and shaken your heads and walked away, to you who have pressed into me, to you whom the sun came and it didn't harden your heart like clay, but melted it like ice, to you will be given the secret of the kingdom of God. And to them, Jesus begins to explain the parable. Verse 13 comes the bottom or the top layer of the sandwich. He comes back to the sandwich. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Meaning, this one that I'm telling you, this one of the sower and the seed, this one is so foundational. If you don't get this, you won't get any of them. You have to hear me on this one. And then he offers the explanation, 14 through 20. I won't read it again. He begins to tell them, the sower is the one who sows the word. And he begins to go through each part of the parable and explain it to them. Here's what he's saying. This parable is about my ministry. I have come to sow the word. I've come to sow the word. And, and you should hear, secondarily, this parable applies to the ministry of the, the apostles. And then it applies to the church. And it applies to you and me. In fact, every single one of you who has ever spoken God's word to another, whether that be behind a pulpit or in a small group or to a child or to a friend, Every one of you that has ever scattered God's word, this is for you. The sower scatters the word. And would you notice how he scatters it, the parable? It's almost careless. 
It's almost lavish. It's almost extravagant. It's almost wasteful. It's not like there's a, a method to the madness. It's almost you'll throw it anywhere and everywhere, hoping that it'll find some good soil somewhere. Throws it everywhere he can, liberally, generously. The same sower throws the same seed, yet the difference is in the soil. Right? It's, it's the same message that goes out. It's the good news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is sown everywhere, the parable says. And yet, there's different soils. And Jesus says, some fall along the path. And he begins to interpret, meaning some of your hearts are as hard as pavement. No matter how many times the word of God comes, no matter how many times it's sown onto you, it just bounces off every time like pavement. It has become so hard, so recalcitrant, so stubborn in its opposition and committed unbelief that nothing can penetrate. It bounces off and it's quickly snatched away by the evil one himself. It doesn't have a moment to actually get beneath the surface. Your heart is so hard, Jesus says, that nothing can penetrate. And you wonder if Mark doesn't think of the scribes and the Pharisees, even within his own gospel account. No matter what he said, nothing would penetrate. Nothing would get past the surface. In fact, the, he tells us they listened to him and watched him just so that they could accuse him. And so... God says in this passage, you would do well to ask, is my heart like that? If my heart is like that, something is wrong with my heart. Then he says, but for others, the word falls and it's on rocky ground. Meaning there's just enough of a layer for it to get past the surface, but it's stone underneath. Just enough for it to penetrate. In fact, it's received immediately with joy. It springs up. And yet, when the adversity, when the heat of the sun comes, it's burned away. You wonder in Mark's account if that wasn't a good description of someone like Judas. You wonder if that's not a good description of, here's the word, it comes in, it's received, and for a moment you think it's the real thing. But when difficulty comes... When trial comes, when tribulation comes, when adversity comes on account of the word, it shrivels up, it burns up, and it's gone. You wonder, you should ask your heart. There's no depth there. It's shallow. It's received immediately with joy, but then it's burned away. Jesus says there's another soil. It's thorny ground. And this one, it actually goes down into the ground, past the surface. The first one doesn't get started. The second one gets started but dies. The third one gets started and grows but does not survive. This is the heart, hear me, Seven Mile Road. This is the heart that is all good with the gospel. That says, let the gospel come in, no problem. But then do you hear what Jesus says? The cares of the world. And the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. This is the heart that says, I am totally good with the gospel. Come in. 
You can almost picture the heart that says, Jesus, come into my heart. Make yourself at home. But please, just be careful. There's a lot of other stuff here. In fact, Jesus, it'd be best if you didn't touch anything. Please be careful not to break anything. Jesus, just please, you, you could make yourself at home, but if you could, just squeeze to that corner. There's a lot of other stuff in here. And you could picture Jesus being squeezed out from the living room, up the stairs, into the attic, and thrown out the window till it's choked out and there's no more room for the gospel. It's the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke this out till it proves also unfruitful. It's reception for Jesus, but alongside with everything else. You wonder in Mark's account if this wasn't a good description of who he would speak of in a few chapters of the rich young ruler. A man who comes to Jesus and has kept all the commandments and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, this one thing you lack, sell everything that you have and follow me. And this man walked away sad because he had many treasures. And Jesus is saying, my word must become, I must become a greater treasure than everything else that crowds your heart. And then Jesus says, but then there are seeds. Then there are seeds that aren't hitting the pavement and aren't hitting rocky ground and don't fall among the thorns. Then there are seeds that fall on good soil. And he says, those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Then there is soil that hears the word and accepts it and bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We're not farmers, so we don't, we don't immediately get amazed by that. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I mean, in language, we could understand. If I told you there was an investment you could make, I had to read this up. I think a 6%, 8%, 12% would be a really good investment. For you that are wired that way, if I told you there's something that would give you a 30% or a 60% or a 100%, Jesus is saying there is a soil that the gospel can take root and produce this incredible, miraculous harvest. That's what could happen in your heart. Let him who has ears hear what Jesus says. By the time you get to the end of Mark, you begin to understand as you look back on this parable, in some ways this is a snapshot of Jesus' whole life and of his whole ministry. For will Jesus not be the one who dies and is buried in the ground like a seed? And will Jesus not be the one who springs up from the ground producing a harvest without number? Will he not be the one who yields a hundredfold and more through his life and his death and his resurrection? And this Jesus is offered to the world. And Sevma wrote this morning, Jesus is offered to you. It's the same person who says the same words. It's the same good news extended to you of his life and his death in your place for your sins, his resurrection over, and his acceptance of you now through no work of your own, but through him. And yet, just like then, some of us will dismiss him as a heretic. Some of us will ignore him as a fairy tale. Some of us will applaud him as a good moral leader. Some of us 
will hear his word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold, falling down, worshiping him as Lord and God. And if you fall into that last category, you should know today it is only because of the grace of God that the secret of the kingdom of God was given to you. It's only the grace of God that caused you to press in. It's only the grace of God that opened your blind eyes to see and your deaf ears to hear and your dull mind to understand and your hard heart to receive and believe. You owe it all to the grace of God. So friends, will we not hear this and ask, what kind of soil is my heart? Will we not ask ourselves, how long do you think you can harden your heart against God's word before it's too late? Will you not hear a sober warning? How long will you harden your heart to God's word before it's too late? Will you not ask yourself, if you will not hear today, when do you imagine you will hear? If you will not see today, when do you imagine you'll see? If you will not perceive today, when do you imagine you'll perceive? The word is being thrown out to you. We should ask God, would you make my heart like that last soil? It's good news for us, friends, that today we live in the day, not of parables, but in the day when the gospel is made clear. Can I end by saying this? You live in a day where the gospel is made clear. It's not being spoken to you in riddles. It's being made as clear as possible. I told you I listened to that sermon by Matt Cruz. At the end of his sermon, he said that that week he had spoken to someone, told them what he does for a living. That person said to him, listen, you keep speaking this word gospel. Could you tell me what that word means? And Matt said he didn't say, well, it's a sower who goes out to a seed and hope, good luck with that, Right? No, he made the gospel abundantly clear. There's a good God. We sinned. and He loves us and came for us and died for us and rose again. And you can be in on all of this. In this day when the gospel is clear, will you not have ears to hear it and eyes to see it and a heart to receive it and believe it? So our prayer for us and for the people we speak to must be, God, make my heart like that last soil that is ready today. Give mercy to me, grace to me, that whatever the condition of my heart is right now, it can become like a soil that is ready to hear and accept and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Let's pray together.